The free ticket that does not cost $10. All right, turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. So today, today we are talking about anger. Anger. We talked the first, um, we talked two Sundays ago about fear. Then we discussed sadness, and today we're discussing anger. And I think there's a great progression here with these three topics, because we said fear is an expectation of something negative in the future. Fear is an expectation of something negative in the future. Now, sadness often results from fear, because when the worst thing you expect to happen actually happens, it then leads to some sadness. But I'll even tell you this, that when the season of sadness is over, then it can just lead to anger, whether it's at the person or even anger towards God. So there's a progression here of of fear, then sadness, and then anger. I think something that many of you have gone through in your lives in this sort of progression of these different emotions. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, is anger a sin? Is anger a sin? And I'll tell you this, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Let's put this next slide up on the screen. Anger is not always sin, but it is always a result of sin. Similar to sadness, two weeks ago, we talked about how sadness is not always sin. It's not sin, but it's always a result of sin. So anger is not always sin, but anger is always a result of sin. Now here's what I want to show you where anger can become sin this morning. We've talked, about, we've talked a lot about um, men and their emotions throughout this series, and so in our world, you guys know this is true, in our world, it's not okay for men to be fearful or sad, right? Um, it's not socially acceptable for men to be fearful or sad. And so, but when it comes to anger, I would say anger might be the only emotion that is socially acceptable for men to feel, right? If you, if you think about any kind of sporting event, um, how many of you guys love fights in games more than the game itself. Okay. So, any hockey fans out there? Hockey fans? Hockey fans? So, hockey fan, hockey, watching a game in hockey is great because everyone knows that the best part of a hockey game is the fight, right? I've got some pictures to show you this. Um, I don't even know who these guys are. If I did, I couldn't recognize that guy anyway. So, um, but look at that guy. That, that's like in the middle of the fight. He's bleeding that bad in the middle of the fight. And hockey fights are great because all it does, it consists of they throw off their gloves, take off their helmet, they grab with their left hand the guy's collar, and they both just go to town, right? That's how they do it in hockey. Um, this next picture, I think, is I think maybe Australian football. Um, he looks kind of like Troy Aikman, doesn't he? Looks like Troy Aikman, right? Um, but he got some kind of a bruise or something. His eye is missing, apparently. Um, this next one is a famous fight. Andre Johnson and Cortland Finnegan. If you want to see a really good football fight, because football fights are lame, because there's hel- they have helmets on. You can't really punch people. But this fight, if you Google it up later, don't do it now. Do it later. But um, Andre Johnson from the Texans just goes to town on little Cortland Finnegan, the cornerback from the Titans, right? And, uh, I mean, they're pulling their helmets off, and he's just going, they both got ejected, by the way, in this game. So um, didn't lead to anything good for either one of them. But we can see in, when it comes to emotion, 
I would say that anger is probably the only culturally acceptable emotion for men to feel. But most of the time, I'll tell you this, that most of the time men don't get emotional, they don't get angry about the right things, and we don't express anger in the right way as men. Now, I know that women get angry. It's obvious that women get angry, right? We all, we all know that's true. And so, because I've been at some high schools in this town where I've been in the cafeteria and every fight I've ever seen has been the girls going at it. Okay, I've seen that firsthand at some of your high schools. So I know it happens both ways. But when it comes to anger, I think anger is often the one emotion that, that we're, we're okay expressing and we feel justified in our anger many times. Um, when it comes to men, I think there's a special case here. Uh, there's a special case, I think, with men because I think when, when it comes to men, if, I, if a student walks in this building and I see a, a young man who's just got some anger, he's just really angry, I know for a fact that there is some fear and there's some sadness behind that anger. I'll tell you that very often when a man is angry, he's trying to mask his fear and his sadness. He's gone through some stuff and it has resulted in some serious anger, some serious bitterness, some serious wrath because of stuff he's experienced in his life. But the root of that is often some sadness and some fear. And he's trying to hide behind this cloak of anger like he's, he's a tough guy. This is how guys tend to deal with these kinds of things. So I want to ask you this morning, when in your life have you been the most angry? When have you been the most angry in your life? I can tell you, uh, how many of you guys, have, have I told the story here before? Um, I know I have a couple years ago, but the story about my wife's ring getting stolen. Have I told that story? I don't think you guys know that story. Okay, so um, a few years back, before we had kids, um, you know, when you're in college and stuff, you're, you're slaving away trying to save money for this eventual engagement ring. So I, I, I saved a while for a ring for my wife, for my fiance, and uh, had the money in the bank, paid cash for the ring, and then we moved to Temple, and we had some electrical issues in our house. We had a ceiling fan in the back bedroom that wasn't working, and some other stuff going on. So I call this electrical company. They come out, um, two guys that seem kind of shady. And uh, one guy's in the front of the house working. One guy's in the back of the house working. My wife goes to the gym. So I'm not thinking she has her rings off of her fingers because she's at the gym, right? And so I'm in the house, but I'm in the front of the house. And so the guys do the work. They finish. Um, I pay them. They leave. I come in to work at the church. Wife comes home. Uh, she gets ready for work, and she's like, Dave, my ring is missing. My diamond ring is missing. But the wedding ring was still there. So we knew this guy had taken it. So I call the cops. The cops come out to the house. And he's looking around the house, you know, see if he lost it somewhere. And he's trying to find, you know, is it under the dresser maybe? Where is it at? With his flashlight, we can't find it. And I said, man, I don't want to press charges. I just want my ring back. That's got sentimental value. I paid a lot of money for that. And that's all I care about. So um, we, orchestr- we orchestrate this plan. And we thought of this plan. We said, you know what? Is there a way to get these guys to come back to my house under the idea that something's not working right? And then have the cops meet them there when they get there. And so, dude, my adrenaline was just pumping. I was like, this is like a sting operation. This is going to be awesome. And I'm getting real, like, amped up, you know? And so I call the guy back and I say, hey, man, um, yeah, something's not working right. I, I can't explain it over the phone. You got to come here and see it, you know? And so. He's like, I'll be there, but I'll come back there in two hours. So I'm calling the cops going, okay, they're going to be here like this time, and you'll need to make sure you orchestrate that. And so um, these guys get to my house, and the cops aren't there yet. 
And I'm like, okay, i got to stall these guys now. So I'm stalling these guys saying, yeah, yeah, go in the house and look around. It's, it's back there in the, yeah, you, you guys figure it out. And, uh, and the cops finally show up. And these guys are like, you know. And uh, they start asking these guys, these guys questions. And they ask to search the truck. They searched the entire truck and could not find the ring. Now, I know this guy took it. And I'll tell you what, that day, I'm sitting there thinking, this guy came into my house, took the most sentimental thing in this house. I mean, you can have my TV. Take it. Anything else I'll give to you. Take everything you want in this house. But don't take the ring I slaved for. Don't take the thing that I paid so much for the thing that I gave her on that night where I asked her to marry me. Don't take that from me. And I was just bitter. I was, I was angry. And so we never got the ring back. We had insurance, so that took care of the um, replacement. So the one she has now is not the actual one that I gave her. But I will tell you that for weeks, I was bitter. I was angry. In fact, I saw those two guys in their truck somewhere else in Temple two weeks later, and I followed them. <laughs> I did. And then I'm like, wait, what am I going to do? Like, I followed them to one of the houses, and I was just like, I got to get out of here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so but what you see is that um, these kinds of things, you feel kind of violated. You feel like just someone came into your life and just took something so precious to you, and, and, and it sent me into a place of just total bitterness and total anger. And I was that way for several weeks. So what is the, when is the most, what time in your life were you the most angry at someone? That's the question I want you to think about this morning. Because sometimes anger is understandable. Something steals something like that from you, anger is understandable, right? But here's the issue though, if you stay there, it's dangerous. And so this morning I want to look at what kind of anger is actually okay, what's not okay, and what to do with anger when it's justified. So there's two mistakes we make with any emotion that you and I experience. We talked about this throughout the series. That um, one mistake that we make is to vent all your emotion. The second one is to just stuff your emotion. And the same is true when it comes to our anger. Because I will tell you that those who stuff their anger, this is going to lead you to just a life of pretending and a life of bitterness. If you're someone who just stuffs your anger and your emotions when it comes to anger, it's going to lead you to a life of pretending and just a life of being bitter towards people and bitter towards God. You guys can transition to the next slide, by the way. I don't want to leave it up there too long. Distracting. So, um, so we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 to 5. Go ahead and turn there if you don't have your Bibles out already. Mark 3, 1 to 5, it says, Again, he entered the synagogue. This is Jesus we're talking about. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So when you see how crazy this scenario is, they are, these men, the Pharisees, Christ is about to heal this guy, and these men are waiting for Jesus to heal someone so they can get mad about it. 
This is what these men are doing as they wait for Jesus to heal someone. So the Jews had lots of legalistic rules. So what, what the Jews would do is they would take an actual law given to them by God. So remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't do work on the Sabbath day. They would take that law given by God and they would establish extra man-made rules called fences. These were things that were, they made up to ensure that they did not actually break the law. So when God says, keep the Sabbath day holy, they take that to the extra mile and they say, we're going to make up this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule, things you can and can't do on the Sabbath to make sure you don't break God's law. This is how they related to the law. They added man-made things to the law. And so Jesus heals this man, and it looks like, so what these people are doing, they're actually taking healing, and they're putting it in the category of work, which is ridiculous, right? And so Jesus invites the man to come towards, he says, come toward me. He turns to the men, and then he says, verse 4, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? So Jesus, it tells us here that Jesus knows just what they're thinking. He can read their minds. Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus, right? Can you imagine being Jesus' friend? Like every thought going through your head, you're trying to filter your thoughts, you're like, okay, sorry, 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 I thought that, you know? So everything you're thinking, he's able to see into your mind and know what you're thinking. These men don't communicate their intentions to him. He just knows what they're thinking before they even think it. And he responds to what their thoughts are with verse 4. And then look at their response. It says, but they're silent because they know they've been busted. Look at verse 5. It says, he looks at them with anger. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. So what I want you to see in this passage is that he looks at them with anger, but he is grieved at the same time. So when Christ gets angry... It's not just him flying off the handle in some uncontrollable rage. This is Jesus angry because he is grieved about their sin. His anger is always tied into his compassion and his love for these people. It's not just him flying off the handle in a rage. This is him caring, being compassionate. He's grieved in a real deep way for these people. And this is why he's angry. He's grieved. He's burdened and he's grieved. This is the Christ that I want you to see pictured here in Mark chapter 3. And we understand why, don't we? We understand why Christ is angry because he has stepped out of heaven. He stepped onto earth. He's been born miraculously. He never sinned. He teaches them in their synagogues. He's performed miracles. He has healed people. And they say, yeah, but... You healed somebody on the Sabbath. They're taking issue with the day of the week in which he healed someone. This is their big issue with Jesus. They they are trying to find a way to to get him, trying to find a way to to nail Jesus and trying to find a way to, um, to discredit him in his ministry. And so Jesus is grieved and he's angry as a result of their response. What else does Christ have to do so they'll believe that he actually is the Messiah? 
Let's put this next slide up there. D.A. Carson, a theologian, he says, God's wrath is not some impersonal principle of retribution. So God's wrath is never just this, okay, you violated a rule, I'm going to bring my wrath upon you. It's not just this personal retribution, I'm going to get you back for what you did. It's a lot more than that. Look at this next part of the quote. But the personal response of a holy God who comes to his own world, sadly fallen into rebellion, and finds few who want anything to do with him. I know it's hard for us to do this, but especially this Christmas season, like try to put yourself for a moment in Christ's shoes or his sandals, okay? Put yourself in his position. Now, he, he created us. He created us. He loves us, wants a relationship with us. He comes onto the earth for a relationship with mankind, and many, many of the people want nothing to do with him. They want nothing to do with him. And so he's grieved, and he's angered, but his anger is rooted in his love for mankind, his love for these people. I want to ask you a question this morning. How often can you and I say that our anger is rooted in a love for someone? How often can you and I say that our anger is because of how much you are grieved by someone's sin or you, are, you care and love for someone? How often is our anger fueled by that? So often our anger is fueled by our own ego. Often our anger is fueled by someone crossed us so we're going to get them back. This is what fuels our anger much of the time. But for Christ, his anger was fueled by his love for these people. Not only this, but Christ gets angry, God gets angry in a different kind of way than the way in which you and I get angry. Turn over to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103, verse 8. I want to show you a picture of the next few verses here on the way in which God gets angry. Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Read it again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So if someone has an anger problem, you and I tend to say things like, that guy has a quick temper. That guy has a short fuse. But when God gets angry, we see the opposite. God gets angry, but it's a, it's, it's a different kind of anger. It is, it is low and it is slow. Whenever I um, moved to Texas, um, I was introduced to the um, food from heaven called barbecue brisket. And... Um, I had never had that before because I'm on the East Coast. And they, if you go to somewhere in Virginia where I'm from, if you say beef brisket, people are like, what's that? I know this sounds crazy to you, but this is the way it is where I grew up. I was deprived, I know. So I come to Texas, and someone first gave this to me, and I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. And so if you know barbecue, which I think many of you might know what, like how they make that, the key to good barbecue is low and slow. Low temperature and cook it for a long time. Make it real nice and tender. And, and I'm not making you all hungry right now, but that's okay. And, um, and that's the key to barbecue. So um, 
most of us, if we get angry, it is quick. It is a flash. It's like dynamite. That's how we get angry. But for God, it's, God gets angry. The Bible said he gets angry, but it's always low and it's slow. It's always low and it's slow. And he has reason to be angry whenever he gets angry. Because here's the reality. Anger is only justified based on what fuels it. Anger is only justified based on what fuels it. So if you're angry because of some injustice, then it might be fueled by compassion. But if you're angry because she got MVP and you didn't, that's fueled by coveting. That's fueled by your own ego. Anger is only justified based on what fuels it. If you hear about child abuse, it should make you angry. Do you guys know that Bell County is one of the worst child abuse counties in the, in the state of Texas? Did you know that? The county we live in is one of the worst for child abuse in our state. And that should make us angry. It should make us angry. But the, even that anger, even that justifiable anger, should not turn into a hatred, even of the people who are doing the abuse. And this is where it's really, really hard, because so often as Christians, we think that if we have justifiable anger, then we think we also have justifiable hatred, Right? We think, if they're doing something wrong, I've got a right to be angry. I've also got a right to hate them and wish destruction upon them, right? I feel that. If I hear about someone getting abused, I want to take that guy out. I want to take that person out. We've got a right to be angry, but we do not have a right to hate the person, even the person doing the offense, there are three ways to be wrong in our anger. And John Calvin, an old, old theologian, said this. Go to the next slide. Three ways to be wrong in our anger. The first one is general anger at someone. So there's someone that you know that you're just generally, you just generally have anger towards them. You generally hate them. Not even sure why. You hate the way they drink out of their cup, Right? They just annoy you. You just have a general anger towards them. This kind of anger would be wrong. The, third, the second way, anger carried too far. So if you're angry at someone and it leads to murder, wrong. If you're angry at someone and it leads to physical violence, that would be wrong. Anger carried too far is a wrong way in which we can be angry. The third way that anger can be wrong is anger towards the person instead of towards the sin. Again, I want to differentiate here. It's okay, it's right and just to be angry about sin. But it's not okay to have all your anger and hatred focused on the person that committed the sin. So often our anger leads to hatred, or we get angry at the person rather than the sin. So God wants our anger to be just like his, anger about the right things and in the right way. Look over at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. 14 verse 29. It says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I love this verse. It's so simple but so complex because it says, 
Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. What do they understand? Someone who's slow to anger, what do they understand? Well, they understand that life is complex. They understand that, you know, sometimes that guy may have had a bad day. Maybe he flipped you the bird on the highway because he had a bad day. And it's okay. You're going to forgive that. You've got great understanding that sometimes everything just doesn't go your way. You've got great understanding that sometimes people, when they need money, they come into your house and they steal a ring. And they take it to a pawn shop and they get their money. Like you've got great understanding, right? That you understand life is complex. You understand that sometimes just things just don't work out the way you want them to. And so this person gets it. This person is a forgiving person. They're slow to anger because they understand how life works and how life is fallen. And things don't always work out the way that we want. They also understand that other people sin just like they do. Others sin just like they do. There are three ways to handle anger. Uh, I want you to see this morning the first way of course, is no anger. Sometimes it's a sin to not be angry. If I said to you, um, I've got this friend. He's a very godly person, very spiritually minded. And man, he gets angry about nothing. Like nothing makes him upset. Nothing makes him angry. Then if I follow that statement by saying, you know what? He's not even angry about the Holocaust. You would say, wait a second. That doesn't sound right, right? Because... No matter how peaceful someone is, no matter how, no matter how peaceful or um, non-angered someone is, that if something like that, six million Jews being destroyed, doesn't make them angry, we would say, there's something wrong with that. So no anger is potentially a sin if we're talking about some injustice. The second way in which we can handle anger, is blow-up anger, which I've already described to you, blow-up anger. Some people have a short fuse. Some people say things like, and many people that kind of blow up like this, blow-up anger, they say things like, you know, well, I just tell it how it is. I just speak the truth. I'm just blunt. Or I'm from New York, right? And so they find ways to justify their anger and their quick temper and their short fuse but this also is sinful. And so the third way is to be slow, to be slow in our anger. This is someone who is angry about the right things and in the right way. Now flip over to Proverbs 16, verse 32. This next verse, I think, is perfect for the guys in the room. 16, verse 32. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. Do you understand what that verse just said to us? This verse just told us that you either, you either let God rule your anger or your anger is going to rule you. This is perfect for the guys because the guy who is slow to anger is better than the macho guy. Like the guys you saw at the beginning that were beating their... their um, other, the other teams up on the field, right? The guys who are trying to be macho and, 
and, and show all their bravado. This verse says that the guy who is slow to anger is actually better than that guy. And so when your friends are all, you know, challenging you to be a man, challenging you to express emotion of anger in the way that they would, Proverbs says, no, no. Proverbs turns the tables a bit and says, no. The guy who is the better guy is the one who is slow to anger, the guy who actually has some self-control. It says, the guy with self-control is better than one who conquers a whole city. Because let's, let's be honest, what's more difficult? When someone wrongs you, what's more difficult? Is it more difficult to fly off the handle in a rage? Or is it to be self-controlled? Which one's actually more difficult? Which one, listen, guys, especially listen, which one requires more strength? Which one requires more strength? I think you know the answer to that question. Our culture says to handle anger, either to vent your anger, especially true among guys. Some guys see that as a virtue or to suppress your anger. And when we suppress our anger, that's based on the lie that all anger is wrong, and that just leads to a life of pretending. And if that's never dealt with, it just leads to a life of bitterness and wrath and slander. This kind of person never gets angry about the right things. Let's put this next slide up on the screen. Caring too much for the wrong things leads to unrighteous anger. Caring too little for the right things leads to passivity. This is especially true among men. Is that so often we care way too much about our ego. We care way too much about the wrong things, which leads to unrighteous anger. And we care way too little about the right things, which leads to passivity. This is where I think a lot of men in our culture are at today. And so for, um, for many of you guys, I want these truths to sink in this morning that, that you begin to care for the things that God cares about, that the things that makes, makes God angry would actually make you angry, that that is where you would find yourself. Flip over now to um, Ephesians chapter 4. I know I'm making you move around a lot today, but that's part of the nature of this talk. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 26. And this is where I think Paul gives us some great insight into, um, into anger. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 26, look, look what it says. Be angry and do not sin. He's actually saying as a command, there are times you should be angry, but do not sin. Because what Paul knows is that even when you are justified in your anger, that right behind that is a potential for great sin and destruction. And so even though you have a right to be angry, you're justified in your anger, that if you let that thing fester, if you let the sun go down on your anger, there's a real good chance something bad's going to happen. Even though you're justified in your anger. Because anger is complex. Anger is very complex. It's right to feel it, but it can quickly lead you into sin. How can it become sinful? This verse tells us by letting it carry into the next day. I'll tell you this morning that that verse is going to be huge for your marriage one day. 
If you let anger carry into the next day, it will poison your marriage. It will poison it. It's going to turn both of you bitter towards each other if you let that happen in your life with that person. So what happens whenever, whenever you and I let the sun go down on our anger, what happens when we do that is that we give Satan an opportunity. We become hardened in our hearts towards God and towards people. And skip down now to verse 31 where it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to watch this. We talked about verse 26 where it says, be angry and do not sin. So this is righteous anger. So the righteous anger, the good anger of verse 26 can easily become the sin of verse 31. If anger is not dealt with properly and you don't lead, come to a place of forgiveness and letting things go and letting the death and blood of Jesus Christ be applied to all of your relationships, then the justifiable anger of verse 26 can easily become the unjustifiable wrath and slander of verse 31 if it's left untended. If you don't eventually come to a place of the gospel and forgiveness, this is where it's going to lead you to. And I think it's profound that in verse 32, there's a reason why Paul includes that last phrase, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He is saying, be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you because he knows if you're going to forgive someone, it's going to have to happen as a result of you being transformed by the cross. There's no other way. There is no other way. Because if anyone has a right to hold anger against us, it is Jesus But does he do that for us? No, he does not. He gave up that right in the cross. And if the gospel is applied to your life, you will also give up your right to be angry, even your right to hate someone because of how the gospel and the cross has transformed your life. Let's get this next slide up on the screen. Matthew Elliott says, The anger legitimately felt by the believer is to be cleansed by forgiveness and reconciliation and not allowed to become perpetual or turned into hatred. If anger is not dealt with, if it is not forgiven, it is going to grow into a seed of bitterness and utter hatred of that person. This is what it leads to. And so this morning, what I want to do to wrap up, I know this last part is going to seem like it's sort of out of place because it's... um, it seems like sort of an add-on to the end of this, this talk, but I want you to hear this because we've talked mainly this morning about anger towards people. But I know in this room that many of you are not just angry at people. You're angered towards God. You've got great anger towards God. Maybe some hatred towards God. And so I was reading a blog recently from a guy named uh, Cameron Cole, and he's a youth pastor somewhere in the U.S., and he says on this blog, there are four moments that he's preparing his students to face. And three of these four things are things that involve, I think, anger at God. And the first thing he says, the first 
thing he's preparing his students to face is the semester with the persuasive, the persuasive atheist professor. This is why we do things like Ask Anything uh, series, because I want to I know what your questions are and know where you're at. And so he knows that eventually you'll leave this place, you'll be exposed to some really deep philosophical, intellectual thoughts, and for many people, it gets them off the rails. Now, the second thing he, he really prepares the students for is the day their best friend dies in a car accident. Because when some of you experience that kind of disappointment and that kind of trauma, you'll use it as an excuse to get angry at God and reject your faith as a result of that tragedy. The third thing he prepares his students for is the year when they don't feel God's presence at all. The year where they just feel like they're just dead spiritually. For many of you, that may be right now. And as a result, you feel anger towards God. You feel like, God, where are you? I don't sense your presence. I don't feel you. I don't know where you're at. And you're bitter and angry, angry towards God. The fourth thing, the day when their fiancé breaks off the engagement even after they have remained abstinent. So an example of just great disappointment, great anger towards God. God, how could you do this? God, how could you allow this to happen in my life? Great disappointment often leads to great anger towards God. And so three out of these four, I think, have to do with great disappointment and potential anger at God. And so what I want to do this morning is just, I want to pray for you, because I don't know where you're at. I don't know if your anger is because of people or because of God. But whatever it is, the solution is going to be the same. It's going to be the gospel. It's going to be you allowing the gospel to reign supreme in your life. You forgiving other people for what they have done to you, or you releasing things to God, things that have happened to you, things you can't control. Releasing it to him, knowing that he is sovereign, knowing that he's in control. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And um, we don't have time to go to breakouts today out there, so I'm going to have your leaders come grab sheets up here on the stage, um, up here on the stage, and they can lead your discussions at your tables in a few minutes. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we just praise you for um, these students. We praise you that we get to pastor them, lead them, shepherd them. We thank you that we get to be a part of that process. God, I pray for anyone here that just has anger, bitterness, hatred towards parents, anger, bitterness, hatred towards friends or former friends, anger, bitterness, hatred towards enemies. God, they they just release it today. That they would understand that your cross, you forgave us so much, how can we not forgive someone else who's wronged against us? I also pray for those students that have great anger and bitterness towards you. I pray they'd release it to your sovereignty, they'd release it to your goodness, they'd release it to knowing that you're still a good God. And if they're having difficulty seeing that you still are good, I pray that you'd reveal yourself in a mighty way to them, Father, today. And they would see that and see that it is true. I pray I listen in your name. Amen. I've got uh, sheets over here. So someone come and grab a discussion sheet from each table, and then I'm going to put some on the other side of the stage as well. You guys can go into your discussions. Here we go.